You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 90, Speaking Tagalog and Spanish. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. This is episode 90, everyone, and I'm thrilled to officially start the countdown to 100 episodes with my guest, Dr. Ardi Mendoza. In this episode, we're talking about his two languages of Tagalog and Spanish. Artie talks to us about growing up in New York City with his Tagalog-speaking Filipino family and how he became fluent in Spanish, two separate things. We talk about some family connections through traditions and food, and also about how he's reinvesting in learning Tagalog as an adult. Artie tells us about some customs in Filipino culture, including honorifics that are used for older and younger relatives, and how grammar and gender distinctions are important to the culture. He tells us about how he's able to use his languages in his workplace as a doctor, and how important language is when it comes to providing excellent patient care. Other topics include Peruvian slang, Spanish language influence on Tagalog, and the endless joy of the Balakbayan box. Big thank you to Artie for this conversation and for teaching us all a little bit about your heritage. If you enjoy this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I am here today with Dr. Artie Mendoza. How are you today, Dr. Mendoza? I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Longtime listener, first time on, so I'm very excited. <laughs> I love that, and thank you so much for listening. And I'm I'm glad that you know you were uh, excited to have this conversation. I'm certainly excited to have this conversation with you, and we're going to be talking about Tagalog and Spanish today. I like to start each episode with the same question, and that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? Sure. So my first language is English. Uh, grew up in New York City. Two sisters, my parents. My parents speak Tagalog, and it was always around us growing up. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't learn to speak Tagalog. Uh, so I was growing up speaking English, and then we would pick up a lot of Tagalog words, phrases, especially interacting with our parents and family. But the first language I probably began intentionally learning was Spanish. Spanish from middle school onwards, continued that into college. And in college, I was interested in pursuing a Romance Languages degree from my university. So I started learning French as well. Over the course of my professional career, I had a lot of opportunities to work in Latin America. So I actually started learning Portuguese as well, especially because of my Spanish experiences. And then Tagalog came around the same time and really started pursuing it. And right now I would say like Spanish and Tagalog are the two languages I'm pursuing the most. Okay. What you said Tagalog came around that time. What was the spark for you to kind of dive deeper into learning Tagalog? I've always wanted to, and I think when I was growing up, when I was younger, I would say to myself, I plan on learning it at some point. It'll always be around. I always have my parents and family members and people to practice with. But as I started more intentionally learning Spanish, and I think even when I started learning French and started learning more about the process that one uses to learn languages, and then what different strategies I want to employ for myself because I found that certain things for me were more helpful than others. Uh, I, for example, a big like grammar guy for helping me understand uh, the good basis. I thought to myself like, you know, this is really my chance. I'm starting to develop my own strategy on how to learn these languages. I really want to come back to Tagalog, a language I've always wanted to speak, uh, really connect to my family that way and really just go 100% for it. 
Okay. When you were when you were exposed to Tagalog growing up and your parents used words here and there, do you mean that they used words with you and your siblings, but they didn't have full conversations with you and that maybe they had conversations or, you know, I guess conversations in Tagalog with, with themselves, with their siblings, with their extended family? Was it a breakdown like that? It would be a mix of all of that, but I would say probably they would speak to us fully in Tagalog for a long time. And we would learn, try to respond back with little words here and there. Uh, But over time, we had to mix a little bit more English. It's it's an interesting story I'll actually share now where my sisters and I were all a year apart uh, in age. So we're all very, very close. As we were growing up, my younger sister, was a little bit shy growing up. She would often whisper to myself and my our middle sister and we would speak for her. Eventually my parents, my family were a little worried because she never really interacted or spoke with other people. She would just kind of whisper to all of us. Uh, they ended up bringing her to a speech pathologist at one point and the speech pathologist at the time had said, you're actually confusing your children. You should only speak to them in just English mm. because this use of other languages is preventing your youngest daughter from potentially developing English. And we actually know nowadays through speech pathology research, through language research, that that's not the case. Right. This, this girl was just a shy girl growing up. But because of that, they ended up, my parents started intentionally speaking to us more and more in just English and using more of maybe just passing words here and there, or interacting with our other family members in Tagalog. And, you know, we've all grown up, been able to speak just fine, interact with everyone. And I think it's all my sisters and I intention now to try to get back to Tagalog and really learn it on our own, so. Oh, that's awesome. Um, How is that experience going now that you're an adult? Like, what is it like, um, you know, stepping into a language formally where you, didn't previously have a formal experience with it before you know you had a very I'm assuming you had a very familial uh and there's a lot of emotions that come with you know speaking this language with your family so how has that experience been like just learning it in a, in a maybe in a more formal context um and still having those emotional attachment to to the to the language itself you know, it's been such an interesting journey. Like so much of my language experience before Tagalog has been classroom setting, learning the grammar, getting tests, while this has been so much more of an adventure with, again, so much of this emotion attached to it because I grew up in the culture. There's certain words I know right from the get-go, like, all right, there's particular context or gravity or emotion to this that I had to spend years in Spanish-speaking countries in order to learn how to properly use a word. Right. Uh, So I could bring all of that. I could bring my own sense of goofiness and embarrassment. Like, I felt like, I I think as you get more facility in learning a language, your personality starts coming out more. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was very true for me in Spanish, where as I was learning more Spanish, getting more comfortable, I could start inserting my own jokes or my own, like, wit and personality into my language where in the beginning, I felt like I was just so flat and just trying to get the basic grammar. But that's not the case with Tagalog for me. It's always been like, even as my most grammar related mistake and use of phrases in the language, it's got my personality right in the beginning. Right. (laughs) Whatever that could be. And I I love that because you, you make a really good point about how flat you are when you're first learning a language and you don't really because you don't know the nuances, you can't really find the humor. And one thing that I always say is like, you know, fluency is, is what it is. But I think one real mark of fluency is like the ability to understand humor and the ability Mm -hmm. to understand like those little things that take, you know, just the, the spoken word into like someone's personality and being able to express that is just like a completely different plane of language learning. So I would imagine that as you're learning Tagalog as an adult, like since you already have that intimacy and you're able to be yourself in a way, maybe it's easy for you now. Is that the case? Yeah, I would say that there's aspects of like acquiring either vocabulary, the context which you use this vocabulary we're talking about becomes just so easy 
because there are even aspects of using certain words that I've just forgotten or like lives in my subconscious that I'm able to just pull out immediately or know like which part of the minefield just to sidestep already just because I've done that like three, four or five years old. <laughs> uh, I, I think you had before like list of funny words that people share in these languages. I'll be excited to share some of that sort of stuff because like I've had both successful uses of these great words and also like mistakes from well long ago that yeah, I tell will us probably what share. Are, <laughs> tell us what are some of the what are some of the 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 funny vocabulary stories that you have? Some funny vocabulary stories for Tagalog specifically, I think there's a great word that's supposed to be a sign of respect for a elder of your same generation. Uh, and it's different based on gender. So kuya and ate. Kuya would be a respectful word that you would use for a older male of the generation. It's oftentimes for siblings, but there's also a familiar hierarchical system that's very important in uh, the Philippines and a lot of Asian countries. So for example, if you have a cousin whose parent is technically older than your parent, uh, they could be a younger cousin, but they would be your kuya because hierarchically that is how that system would want you to show that's under respect. Mm -hmm. So that would be kuya for male uh, family members and ate would be female family members. My sisters and I never got that like gendered <laughs> aspect of the system and would constantly mess it up or like have cousins who would say, oh, you're supposed to call us kuya. And we try to do this mental gymnastics of trying to figure out like, am I really? I don't know. I'll just do it anyway because you told me to. <laughs> I guess you have to really know like how old everybody is if you're. If you have you... to know how old everyone is. You have to know the position that people lie in the family right. tree. Right. There's all these dynamics that I think. And I, I've heard this is actually true in a lot of Asian countries. Uh, Korean, for example, has that same hierarchical social system where you have these, I, I believe they're called like deferential markers, deferential words, and you grow up learning all these systems and how you relate to other people. It's a fascinating way of um, building a language system, building a culture. It's, it's been interesting to navigate, even now as I try to figure it out. <laughs> I think about that and I, I like to always ask a question about like how we honor our family in other languages because there are some languages where that is really important to, you know, denote where this person mm -hmm. is in your life. And and I just I just always think it's so interesting that we have so many cultures who adhere to this type of of you know naming and, and honorific kind of system and like we don't have anything like that in the U.S. or like in our like U.S. culture and I wish that we did because it's even though depending on how big your family is I imagine mm. it can get pretty complicated very quickly but I I don't know I think I just am really craving some like decency and respect these days. I definitely understand that. It, <laughs> I can I can definitely understand that. The other really important, and I would say probably the most important honorific that's used, and I'm glad you actually brought up the word honorific because that is the word that refers to uh, these words um, in Tagalog is po. It's P-O, and it refers to anyone who's uh, older than you. And oftentimes it's linked with when you first see a family member, uh, you would say, Kumusta na po? Kumusta uh, na is just the general, how are you? Mm -hmm. uh, and Kumusta itself actually comes from the Como esta from Spanish. Oh, wow. So you get a lot of that etymologic connection. Kumusta <laughs> uh, na, we could use like Kumusta na together as just being peers, generally the same age. Uh, but I would add that kumusta napo for someone who's older than me, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, someone within that generation. And it often comes with when you're first greeting them, uh, it's a gesture as well where you take that person's hand and place it to your forehead. Uh, so manupo as a sort of sign that like 
they're blessing you or this is a sign of respect. So it's all been very linked to me, this both use of pull, which I think is very important. And when I was a kid, I would often forget it and almost kind of be like, oh, why do I have to use this? Is mm. this just like something that other people do? We don't have it in America, but it's grown to be so sweet and tender and really important to me both the use of po and that like gesture of monopo, which I think is really important. And gosh, it makes me miss the Philippines right now oh. as I describe it to you. <laughs> so you mentioned briefly, there is a connection between um, the Spanish and the Tagalog um, and you do speak Spanish. So let me just start from the beginning. Was there any way that you, as you were learning Spanish, um, maybe your knowledge of Tagalog helped you with Spanish. And the second part of that is, as you're learning Tagalog as an adult, has your formal training with the Spanish language helped you to increase your knowledge of Tagalog? Yes, absolutely to both of those questions. So on the one side, when I was starting to learn Spanish, this was in middle school, my school system required all of us to learn a language, be it Spanish or French, was being offered at the time. I knew I wanted to learn Spanish from early on. Well, for the connection to Tagalog, uh, Spanish history in the Philippines, as well as I think it's very important to speak Spanish at whatever level in the healthcare field here in the United States. But the more that you can speak, the more advantaged you are, I think, personally, as well as the better patient interactions that you have. So I knew I wanted to speak Spanish and knowing words like na from very early on and seeing it played back out as esta, like help some of these words connect really well. When I begin to describe Tagalog to people who don't speak Tagalog, especially to Spanish speakers, I say how many words are in Tagalog that are from Spanish that just have changes in pronunciation. Mm. Um, iglesia is the word for church in Spanish. And it's iglesia, like a little bit more diphthongy, a little bit more connected uh, with its syllables, a little bit slightly different spelling. Uh, Silla is the word for chair in Spanish, S-I-L-L-A. Uh, in Tagalog, it's Silla, S-I-L-Y-A. Those double L's become an L-Y. Okay. Um, familia, family in Spanish, becomes familia. Those F's become P's in Tagalog. Mm, okay. So, yeah, all these words that I would need flashcards for, at least for other languages I was learning, like French, I was able to pick up a little bit faster in Spanish. And I think overall, like having that second language around me also just exposed me to wanting to learn these other languages, made me just that much more motivated, uh, made me that much more interested in trying to pour the work in. Mm -hmm. Going in the other direction, I think I already talked about a lot of those either loan words that came from Spanish origin that are now in Tagalog, so it helped me learn in that direction. But as well as what I felt were my particular strategies for learning languages, uh, I was very, it, it's very important to me to try to get a good base to start. So be it basic grammar, uh, especially like past, present, future, just how to like have facility and basic conjugation, I think is really important uh, because that can help me just kind of move words in and out, substitute here and there, and just kind of grow from there. Um, so when I try to learn languages, especially Tagalog, I've tried to like sit for a couple of weeks and just kind of plug through some of the grammar stuff. And that's also because I'm particularly interested in that side. I like that sort of math side of my brain. It's interesting. <laughs> and this strategy is going to be different for everyone. Some people will hate the grammar side and they just need to immerse themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's what's worked for me and that's what's helped me kind of work with Tagalog. Um, I actually had a very different experience with Portuguese where I would just be in Brazil and use my Spanish a lot and then learn everything through osmosis and only months and months to maybe a year plus afterwards that I actually go back and try to work with the grammar. But I already had like somewhat of the grammar basis so I could just try that strategy of just go through passive absorbing of 
how people speak. Mm-hmm. I think Tagalog has been really important for me to like get the good basis first and then just push myself out there. For times that you've been in the Philippines, um, what has been, what has communication been like when you've been in the Philippines? And correct me if I'm wrong, but Tagalog is not the only language spoken in the Philippines. There are like a lot, right? Yes, there's a whole <laughs> family tree of languages, dialects, everything in between. I know this is always like a fraught field as we try to define like what can be a language, what can be a dialect and everything in between. But uh, I'll summarize it and suffice to say, it's just a rich linguistic field just full of interrelated languages, languages that are very different together. Tagalog would be the most widely spoken along with English. It is often the languages that are used within Manila, the capital, and in a lot of the national governments, but a lot of people can understand each other's languages to very much can't understand anything from each other's languages. Mm. Uh, I wish I had the statistics of the number, but it's, it's quite rich and it's fascinating to see how it all works together as people run into each other every day both informally to how does a national government function with people speaking so many different languages. Wow. So is it, is it also a lot of like language mixing? I would, and I'm saying mixing maybe between the languages of the Philippines, but also throwing Spanish in there too. Like, do you hear a lot of that when you're in the Philippines? So there are certain language dialects that lean more heavily on Spanish, like Ilocano in the north, for example, uses a lot more Spanish words, vocabulary, grammar systems, uh, versus other sections that pretty much are devoid of Spanish words. Uh, So yes, there's a lot of mixing, there's a lot of guessing and miming, uh, both in the Philippines with Filipino citizens, and then to move back to your question from before, all of my experiences of me personally (laughs) trying to like get around. I think part of the thing that's been interesting is for a long time when we would visit the Philippines as a family, we would always stay with my parents. We'd always be with other family members. We would always have people who have facilities speaking Tagalog be with us. As I got older and I started traveling on my own, I would go to the Philippines by myself or maybe go ahead of my parents a couple of days or stay for a couple of days afterwards and see different parts of Manila, different parts of the country by myself, and then have to rely on my own Tagalog. And, <laughs> That being said, there's a lot of English spoken. There's a lot of English facility in the Philippines because people are required to learn English from second grade on. So it wasn't the most difficult uh, experience I've had trying to navigate not being able to speak the language of the country, but also all of the fun that ensues from that. (laughs) (laughs) Grammatically, let's just have this one grammar question. Does it follow... Spanish grammatically since there are there are there is so much Spanish influence in the language or does it share the same structure as any of the other languages that you're aware of in the Philippines do you know the grammar is completely different it is more the grammar of both languages in the Philippines Malay Bahasa Indonesian that part of like Austro-Indo language family tree completely, completely different. Uh, so when I try to explain it to people, um, Spanish loan words are the only real influence. Otherwise okay. it is very different. Okay, okay. Even actually something that's particularly interesting is I had mentioned before that example of cuya versus ate, this gender distinction for an honorific. That's probably one of the only major gender distinctions in the language. I I guess there are some words where the way that in Spanish you change the O or the A ending to signify masculine or feminine, that's been imported into Tagalog and the other Filipino languages. Like someone who's Filipino is Pinoy as a male or Pinay as a female. But even as simple as the third person, there's no distinction in gender as there is in Spanish, like el, ella, and even usted. for Tagalog, it's just sha, S-I-Y-A. And you have to keep track in your head what gender you're talking about. And there's less of an emphasis of this gender distinction, which I actually think is really important to the culture. Mm-hmm. In what way? 
um, this idea of being open to even just a whole gender spectrum, uh, in other cultures, they describe as everything from two spirit, this facility of being along gender as a spectrum, I think is a little bit more acceptable in the Philippines as opposed to in other countries I find where there's like this very specified like gender distinction. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of in languages where objects and like nouns, they all have either a masculine or feminine gender. So you're, you, we wouldn't see that necessarily in the Philippines. Nope, not in the grammar. Very scant use of articles, for example, in Tagalog as well. So there's both not that need to have gender, which actually was found very helpful because as opposed to trying to memorize all these genders and even different forms of what gender could be in other languages, it makes that piece a little bit simpler. But then there's also different parts of grammar in Tagalog that help me try to make new acrobatics in my head. Oftentimes you start with the verb, then the pronoun or the subject, and then a direct or indirect object. So even just trying to figure out like sentence order, I've been flipping it around in my head, depending on what position some of these parts of grammar are can affect the meaning of the sentence or like the emphasis of what you want to part in the sentence. So I can find myself like doing a lot of mental gymnastics that I don't necessarily do in other romance-based languages. Okay. You know, there's going to be all these differences. Like I'm sure people find if they're learning Tagalog, I actually talked about this with one of your other guests previously, uh, Mr. UNICEF, when we had Mr. met UNICEF. up in Liverpool. Salvatore. Hi, Salvatore. Salvatore. Because uh, we were talking about, because he's learning Tagalog himself, and some of the difficulties that are inherent to Tagalog. And Tagalog itself is a very compound additive language, the same way that German is. You could add more and more words into the primary word and it can be a completely understandable word that's commonly used uh in german they could get to like 10 11 12 letters that's the same thing in tagalog and that that can get difficult fast for spelling purposes pronunciation purposes do you have an example of how that would work tangap tangap is to welcome uh and the way to conjugate it is it's actually an infix. So you put the word that you want to change for tense purposes into the middle of the word. It's usually after the first letter. So like tangap is the word to welcome. Tinangap uh, is welcomed. Tinatangap, I'm welcoming. Tatatangapin is the future tense. That's awesome. Yeah. So when I started learning it, I was like, wait, this is fascinating and so different from my other experiences. Whoa. And I'm going to also caveat right now, please, anyone reach out to us if I am mistakenly uh, conjugating something (laughs) as I'm still trying to learn as a novice. And I would welcomely take any corrections and offers for help in the future. Yeah, constructive criticism only, but it's always, you know, and and I've said this before, but this is kind of what I love about the show is just talking to people who have different levels of experience with a language and come to a language from different places in life. So, I mean, you're learning, I'm learning from you now too. So that's really cool. How has it been now with your family as you're learning more Tagalog and are you communicating more with them in Tagalog? And and how have those conversations been? It's put a smile on a lot of faces. Oh, I love it's, that. <laughs> it's brought a lot of laughs as <laughs> I've fumbled through. Uh, probably at its most often, I try to practice with my parents. We'll get on the phone with them, talk about how our day is. And as opposed to be like my parents who would, speak to me in Tagalog, ask questions, uh, but maybe the conversation would be in majority in English. Start shifting more, more of the proportion of the conversation could be in Tagalog. I'll start participating more. I'll start trying more. So that's been really, really nice. There is a great Tagalog phrase 
that we all love that I deploy all the time. Uh, Dugo Angilonko, uh, Dugo being blood, blood. Uh, Angilong is nose and Ko is my. So like whenever you're struggling to speak a language, and this was often taught to me in the beginning as my family in the Philippines would be like, oh, I'm speaking too much English right now. Dugo Angilonko, my nose is bleeding. <laughs> So now it's me deploying it all the time, being like, <laughs> I'm just off of a night shift. I'm so tired. My nose is bleeding. I can't speak Tagalog anymore. That's a very useful, very useful yeah. phrase for, for those for those moments. Tell me about, you know, growing up in the US and you know, your your family's in the Philippines. Um, how what are some ways that you and your family had been able to maintain those connections? Um with your family back in the Philippines, but also, um, you know, Filipino traditions that you were able to hold on to while you were here and, and celebrate and keep them a part of your family. So I'll start with that second question first, because I think the traditions have always been around for us. Uh, it's kind of nice that we're actually having this recording right around the holidays because so much of Filipino culture surrounds major holidays, especially Christmas time, we would, for example, the night before Christmas, Christmas Eve, had that big Christmas mass, uh, and then have a big meal afterwards. For Filipinos, I would say that Christmas Eve is anything, <laughs> the bigger holiday. It's sort of the height of anticipation, the height of the family gathering. Uh, we would always like dress up every year for Christmas mass have Christmas mass, get back home. We as little kids would open all the gifts right at midnight <laughs> and just stay up for it. But over the years, it became less about that gift opening and more about the big meal that you'd have that would rival Thanksgiving. And as opposed to a Thanksgiving meal for us, that would be like midday. Imagine those portions at 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> But we'd be so committed and it would be all of the best Filipino dishes. A lot of this uh, Filipino culture that came with us and stayed with us um, really surrounds food. Pansit, mm -hmm. very traditional Filipino noodles that have both a great Chinese influence, but also so much Filipino character and changes that we make on our own end. Um, egg rolls. I love this dish called molo soup. It's like a sort mm -hmm. of dumpling soup that its own Filipino creation and style is again influenced by like dumplings and dumpling soups from different parts of Asia but with our own Filipino twist so all that would be at that dinner table all those traditions were stuff that my parents were very very that were very important to my parents and was very important for them to keep with us mm -hmm. so we saw all of that growing up which I really liked uh, getting back to your first question as well as how we connect with other family members of the Philippines for so long it would be that like phone call that you would have that we would plan for half an hour or longer and we would just all sit together as a family and just like talk back and forth on phone calls and it's been facilitated even more now by skypes zooms oh, yeah. facetimes and everything else it makes it a lot easier but we were always very intentional about keeping on the phone with the family uh mm -hmm. being in the philippines or as well as like many family members who have been here in the u.s and we'd all gather together for various holidays important occasions or just every sunday for like mahjong Oh, oh my god I haven't played MJ in like over 15 years oh, I loved man. it we used to play in college and <laughs> I was terrible at it but <laughs> did you see a couple I think it was last year did you see that whole controversy about the the like gentrified mahjong set that someone had created this like upscale you know MJ and it was like a couple hundred dollars do you remember yeah. that Yep, and I yep. was like, our set in college was like nothing. It cost us nothing, you know? And it was just me and my my roommates. Um, my roommates are all Chinese when I was in college. So that's mm. how I had an opportunity to learn. But um, I want to play again. <laughs> Is this the start of like the New York Language Learners Mahjong Club? Is this... We can get it going, Artie. We can definitely, we could definitely. All listeners, it. please yes. reach out to L. So please reach out. We're starting uh, 2022. Because um, I do have my set and it's great. Oh my gosh. I need a refresher course for sure. 
um, can be done but <laughs> as a fun story to that in a refresher course you know my dad was a big mahjong player in the family uh couple aunts and uncles would all get together on Sundays we'd all get together as the kids and we would be the ones playing like N64 or hang out playing games <laughs> they play mahjong but every once in a while we'd be like we want to learn how to play but they would give us this simpler version called baby mahjong of just mm. trying to like match some of the tiles uh and I should also press pre uh, preface this conversation with the fact that like that typical mahjong matching pyramid that a lot of people see is really not what mahjong is it's mm. i guess now popularized by things like crazy rich asians or a little bit more of it's been seen in popular culture but this baby mahjong version was like their attempt to teach us how to learn when we were kids <laughs> hard enough at that time but as we grew up we graduated to the adult mahjong version and it's been great to learn and i do miss it too so oh man that's fun so you are a doctor congratulations we are very proud Thank of you, you very much. for for being a doctor. Um, how has Spanish and Tagalog helped you in your medical practice, and and maybe even helped you in your in your studies as you were studying to become a doctor? Sure. So, I had been learning Spanish again from middle school on. So, uh, what age was I then? Like. 10, 11, somewhere around there. I just kind of <laughs> kept working at it since uh, in university, afterwards, like professionally. Uh, but I decided to live in Peru for a year while applying to medical school. Um, so I wanted to get my Spanish up to a really good place so that by the time I started medical school, these sort of these patient interactions I would have as I was a learner, I might not have had all the medical knowledge or maybe just my basic script of how to ask questions. But the fact that I could do it in Spanish very comfortably helped sort of ease away so much of my own anxiety about talking mm. to like some of these patients or some of my patients who would see like, this is a young student, what are they doing here? <laughs> but suddenly I could just see them disarm or smile or just tell me more about their life or what they're experiencing or really go into their symptoms in much longer detail than I had heard, heard previously if they were talking to just an English speaking provider. And that would just give me so much more insight into what's going on, what I'm thinking about what's going on and how can I help? So I think that's been so helpful, but then even more on the human level, just to connect with patients in their own languages. I'm very, very fortunate and recognize that every day that being able to speak Spanish at the level that I can means that I can go into so much more of a conversation with some of these patients, find out a little bit more about their lives and make them just feel either more comfortable, make them feel more seen, make them feel that I'm empathizing with them in their situation. And that's both powerful for them, but it is equally as powerful if not. Sometimes I feel like it's more powerful for me as I like <laughs> go through this experience and try to make those good connections. Um, I can do that with Spanish for my patients. I can't do that with my Tagalog speaking patients, but okay. as a fun sort of different way of being in a work environment in New York City and really a lot of, uh, in a lot of parts of the United States, there are a lot of Filipino healthcare workers, nurses, ancillary staff, uh, doctors. So it's great when I can like just kind of chat with my coworkers. Like there's a lot of great nurses at one of the hospitals I work at here uh, in New York City where we'll refer to each other as Ate and Kuya all the time. Oh. Like they'll be like, Kuya, you're the doctor. And I'm like, no, Ate, you've been here for a lot longer than I have. I am totally differing to you and <laughs> using your honorific. And we'll just joke around and it's great. And we'll talk about like what food we want to get after a late night shift. Like where's the best Filipino food in Queens mm. so that I can get some uh, like early morning seasick after a long night shift. Oh, okay. I just want to say we are going to talk about food in a minute, but because <laughs> you've mentioned so many things and I, I have something to say about Filipino food too. And mm. I'm trying to restrain myself <laughs> so, that, so that I don't like derail our conversation totally. Um, I think that's great. And I, I don't, well, you tell me, do many doctors and I guess of, of you know, your cohort do many of them also realize 
this importance of being able to speak the language of their patients. And you don't have to throw anyone under the bus, but I'm just wondering, like, are doctors taking language, generally speaking, are doctors taking knowledge of a second language seriously when it comes to delivering patient care? Uh, I'd say absolutely. I think so many doctors that I both personally work with, either within my program, around me, at these hospitals I'm working at, see how important it is. And so many times I like have great conversations with doctors who like have their Spanish is based off of just years and years of working here in New York city or working in the healthcare system and just like absorbing everything that they can and just trying to really push themselves out there because we, we see the value in it. We see how important it is for all the reasons I just talked about before. And you know, I'll have conversations about people asking about where I learned Spanish, how did I get so uh, good at it? And I equally like love those conversations of like, where are you absorbing and just pulling all this sort of stuff? Like, I don't know if I've had that language experience necessarily other than maybe a little bit of Portuguese, but not even to the level that some of these doctors are learning where like all their Spanish was just like in the hospitals over the years mm. and just push themselves there. And they like knew that that was the only way that they're gonna be able to be successful in their work environment here where we are or with specifically their patients to get what they need uh, and to help them as patients feel comfortable with the care that's being given. So I, I think it's very, very valued. Um, I recognize the fact that, uh, again, I'm speaking from our perspective here in New York City where we see so many languages every day. Mm, so I think mm -hmm. it's particularly important around here, but I think in general, the people we're working with see a lot of value and importance and really push themselves. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think it's really important. We're also very sensitive and I think it's become more and more in the consciousness among healthcare providers in general, this idea of language concordant healthcare, being aware of where your own limits are, being aware of at what point, if either you don't speak the language at all, or even you could speak the language very, very well, but at certain moments, like, would it become inappropriate if we continue trying to have this conversation with our personal language skill sets? Like, even uh, with my level of Spanish, there are times where I'm like, I have to step out. I need to get the interpreter mm. and I can still have all the conversation. I can even continue speaking in Spanish, but I need the interpreter just to double check because at certain moments, one or two words could be a difference between one set of information and a completely different set. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm interested in that because I've said this on other episodes I never, when I was growing up and, you know, career day and what do you want to be when you grow up and all this stuff, I feel like it never occurred to me how language could be used in a medical capacity. And I am, you know, older now and just kind of, you know, having these conversations with the show and, and meeting people from different walks of life and just kind of realizing like, oh man, just personally, I could have used my language skills in so many different ways that I just wasn't even aware of. And like, just the idea, I'm thinking of myself as a kid, if you told me I could have taken Spanish seriously or any other language, um, and I could have still had a medical career and been able to use Spanish, like I could not connect those two when I was a kid and it, it never even crossed my mind. So hearing something like this, I think, um, is really valuable for someone who's maybe considering career options or a career change or trying to figure out what they can what they want to do with their lives and and how they can use their language and medical translation is one of those things that I'm like oh I really missed out because <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea this was really a thing until relatively I'm not even ashamed to say because I'm human and you know, sometimes I don't know stuff, but I didn't even know that 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 was like a viable career path. And for someone who's interested in languages, I think that's fascinating. And, you know, I will say related to that, like I've had a lot of those same thoughts over the years, like as people ask, like, oh, if you had all the money in the world, what would you like to do? Uh, oftentimes I still think I would be a doctor. I would do this. 
I love the idea of learning languages, continuing to learn and to use it in other ways. Teaching people languages, I think interpreting is a phenomenal skill set and a phenomenal profession, like having friends who are interpreters and what they need to do. And even doing my own interpreting, I used to interpret in medical school and think about those mental gymnastics or Mm -hmm. what you're able to do for these parties, I think is such a great way to see yourself in a career if you're really passionate about languages and you know growing up I had that same idea of like I didn't know this was a thing but as people talk more about the languages that they're learning uh I don't know if it was the same for you but I felt like somewhere in the 2010s like early 2010s people start talking about the fact that they were polyglots and start talking about like all their different language learning and mm-hmm. it just kind of just exploded this interest in people who are interested in learning this language. I mean, even as simple as your podcast and stuff, it connects so many people who are really interested in learning languages and sharing this idea with others. Like, I hope someone's listening right now. And as they hear this conversation, they're like, I haven't had that thought either. But now I want to pursue it. I, th- yeah. I think it's really nice. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, I'm I'm happy if this conversation can be what I didn't have, you know, just kind of that, because especially when you're a kid and, you know, we didn't have a lot when I was a kid. So there wasn't a lot that people even told us when, when I was a kid and when I was in school. So there's so much more information out there too now than, you know, than before. So hopefully someone will take some inspiration from this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm derailing this just slightly, but you spent a year in Peru. I did. Why Peru? It was a great opportunity that opened up for me. I was in grad school at the time and I knew I wanted to go to a Spanish speaking country during my year while I was applying to medical school. And I was looking at a lot of different options, but I had a great professor uh, at my graduate school program who had a lot of research projects in Peru at the time. And he, as I talked to a lot of friends during my grad school program, they kept on referring me to the same professor, uh, Robert Gilman, phenomenal, phenomenal mentor. And he, and I talked and he said, you have a couple of these projects I'm working on in Peru related to public health and a lot of the interests that you have. specifically working with a group of Peruvian researchers on developing a point of care uh, autism diagnostic uh, tool. And I was working on the study staff and I was able to live there for a year and work in the study staff, meeting families and patients, recruiting and also connecting them to uh, autism services in Lima where I was primarily working. But then it was also a fantastic year just to like live abroad, grow up. My, my parents moved out of the Philippines in their early 20s and spent like several years either in the United States for my mom. My dad was in various parts of the world and like their careers. And I wanted to have that same experience. And it was fantastic, not the least of which just for getting my Spanish to where I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. That's really cool. I'm glad you had yeah. that opportunity. I'm very proud of my Spanish. I like love my Spanish because of all the different places that I built it up with. Um, Growing up in my hometown, one of my friends uh, was from Andalusia, Spain. Mm. My first couple of professors in college were also from Spain and I studied abroad in Spain. It was like my first trip abroad, not with my parents. you're in the study abroad group, you're learning things on your own. And that Spanish, like Castilian accent is very, very important to me. And it is always stuck. And as I moved to Peru and I talked to all of my other friends, they would constantly make fun of me. And they'd be like, where's this accent from? Like, you've been living here for almost a year now. And why are you still talking this way? And I'm like, honestly, like one, I just love it for all these memories. Two, there's a certain point as you learn these languages where you kind of just get set in the pronunciation and it almost becomes harder to like resist those temptations just to pronounce in a certain way. Like I still say gracias, <laughs> I still say universidad, I still use a lot of the words that I learned in Spain. But then over time, like living in Peru for a whole year, my slang is so Peruvian. Oh, wow. And- <laughs> 
so I get so many people who meet me nowadays who are like, where is this? What is going on here? Uh, I lived in Colombia for six uh, for uh, six weeks during medical school as part of a research project. So I have a lot of that slang too. I, I love Peruvian slang. Uh, I could talk at length at how fun and interesting uh, some of the slang is. Tell us about tell us about Peruvian slang. There's this one example that I found. There are three phrases. Uh, que palta. Palta is the word for avocado in Peru. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, ooh, that's embarrassing is what it means. Like, ooh, that's the same. Like someone just drops a drink at a bar. Ooh, que palta. Que <laughs> uh, piña. Um, and then que piña is, uh, that's a pineapple. What a pineapple. Uh, and I actually just forgot what quepina meant, so I'll have to get back to that one. Uh, but then que papaya from papaya just being, oh, that's super easy. Mm-hmm. Que papaya. And one day I asked my friends, I was like, why are all these words food-based? <laughs> and it just dawned on them. They are like, I don't know. <laughs> why do... <laughs> uh, there's another great Peruvian dish called causa, which is layers of yellow potato, uh, avocado, whatever mix that they would like to put. It's a great Peruvian dish, a very traditional Peruvian dish, but you can also use it to refer to your best friend or like a close friend. Like, oh, mi causa, mi causita. Um, Peruvian Spanish incorporates a lot of these like diminutives, like the ITO, the ITI, like, oh, uh, where's the next bar we're going to? It's like, oh, aita, like, oh, just, just there. Mm. Uh, and it's 10, 15 blocks away, uh, 20 minute walk. But oh, Aita, Aita. Or like, when are we going out? Like, oh, Aurita, like right, right now. <laughs> An hour later, like, oh, Aurita. Like, so I, I love that aspect. And I think it's something I've talked about with a lot of other Spanish speakers within like Latin America. And they've noticed that specifically, which I really do love. It's sort of just like, everything's just a little bit more cariñoso, like just a little bit sweeter, mm-hmm. a little bit, yeah. Oh, I love that. And I I say all the time that like Spanish is it's so vast because it's spoken in so many different parts of the world. I love to hear those changes. I love to hear how those changes go and and you know how they differ from country to country. So, uh tell me, I mean we talked about a lot of things that you love and a lot of things that um you know that you've experienced with your family and filipino culture is there anything that maybe we didn't talk about that you would want people to know something that you absolutely love about Mm. filipino culture and being a part of and and being filipino yeah um this is really great concepts this word kabayan which translates to like person from the same land, countryman, uh, country person, but also from like hometown, it like encompasses all those things. Bayan, the word itself means land. So a kabayan is someone who comes from your same land. And it really suffuses a lot of Filipino culture where you have so many people who have immigrated out of, or who have emigrated out of the Philippines to work in so many parts of the world, to find opportunities, to send resources, opportunities back home to the Philippines, so that when you find a kabayan, it's an instant connection. Uh, it's interesting, as we were talking before about some of these concepts that don't really exist either in the US or in English. Um, I learned the word like paisano or like paisan, like that idea of someone who's from your same area, but I've never heard like an English word that is as strong as like kabayan is to like Filipinos. As soon as you can recognize someone who's Filipino, instant conversation, one of the first questions you get is where are you from or where's your family from? And like, not even like region, like what is a specific town? And they might not know the town from like Adam and everything, but just to hear that and just to strike up that conversation, it's tied into this very similar idea called, uh, Pakikisama, which means like harmony and community, like the ability to like support one another and connect with one another. Uh, you have so many of these concepts of being Filipino, 
being tied together because you are Filipino, being wanting to support each other and make sure everyone's being taken care of because we all are Filipino. And then extending that outwards to just humanity in general, I think is such a nice way to think about like Filipino culture. Yeah, I love that. Related to that word, uh, that bayan word as well is a great thing called a balik bayan. Uh, someone who's coming back to the Philippines, Balik being return, mm. Bayan land. Uh, so Balik Bayan, uh, always welcomed, always ready to see other family. And then something that's very essential to Filipino culture is called the Balik Bayan box. It is this huge box, like up to my hips, like always got to be about 50 pounds because like that's the flight limit but it is packed the brim with all the things you want to bring back to your family in the philippines folgers coffee uh swiss miss packets mm. uh oatmeal that you're just finding on sale all the canned goods sales all the clothes all of the things you just can't get over there and then you get these brick boxes my parents would always love like when we got old enough where they could assign each of us our own box along with our own luggage like here's your luggage and here's your 50 pound box that we have to <laughs> use you to bring over <laughs> three times the amount of stuff <laughs> right and then there's this big unboxing whenever everyone gets together and like you first land in the philippines all your families together and the box is open and then everyone is just passing out all the gifts or the snacks or just like making hot chocolate or like opening up hershey's like chocolate we're just like enjoying everything that was in there could be nice. like irish spring soap that that's what someone wanted and mm -hmm. requested it's it's really nice oh i like that i love that <laughs> Well, Artie, Dr. Mendoza, thank you so much for this conversation. If anyone's listening and they would love to get in touch with you, maybe talk about language or culture, um, please tell us the best way that we can reach you. Yeah, so you can reach me at my Instagram handle or my Twitter handle. It's both the same, and it's just my first name and last name. So it's Artie Mendoza, A-R-D-I-M-E-N. D-O-Z-A, no spaces, no periods, no nothing, just first name, last name together. Awesome. I will add that into the show notes so that hopefully someone who wants to get in touch with you can just do so at the click of a button. Yeah. Always looking for more language partners, always looking to share more experiences. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to end on my usual last question. And that is, do you have any jokes tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in Tagalog or in Spanish to share? So I think in Spanish, one phrase that has always been really close to my heart is el mundo da vuelta, like the world turns. Like mm. it can both mean like Things can always change, but things can always come back to you. It's always been just a very comforting phrase for me that mm -hmm. I've always really liked. And then in Tagalog, this was just a great phrase that my family and like other people in the Philippines use, because I think I'd mentioned before how with Tagalog, you can often add different words together. It's actually very easy to make compound phrases. This is a great word like Lyogenic. Malayos is the word for far. Uh, so then they'll make some funny joke where like, oh, lyogenic. I was like, what does that mean? They're trying to explain to me one day. It's like, oh, you know, like Lyos is far, genic is like photogenic, etc. So lyogenic is someone who looks cute from afar, but when you get up close, they're not so cute. I was like, oh my gosh, what? They're like, yeah, there's lyogenic we use, uh, liquidgenic, liquid being the word for back. So liquidgenic is someone who looks good from behind, but not. Yikes. <laughs> so speaking of dragging. <laughs> that is a drag. <laughs> that is a drag. I, I just think it's just so cute. Like all the different ways we can make, borrow from all our different languages and just make it useful in our own. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's really, really funny though. Um, thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of times words that, you know, become like portmanteau words or words that get borrowed and, and brought into conversations. Um, we don't always think about their importance. They're just as important as 
you know, any proverb or any, any profound saying that someone could say. So, and it's all a part of, I think also understanding the language in the now, like right in this moment. So like someone is out there learning Tagalog, they may not even realize like Lyogenic, (laughs) like (laughs) how they could, (laughs) oh my God, how they could use that in their, in their conversations if they need to. Yeah. Um, and how not to use it. And how not to use to. it. Or how if someone is saying it about them, you know, in a like in a setting and you'd be like, oh, well, I understood everything else, but lyogenic. So it's it's helpful to know what people are saying about you, too. Yeah. <laughs> so usually I say, teach me the phrase that you say. So the Spanish one was el mundo da vuelta da vuelta gives and, turns give returns okay i like that one too mm. i like both of these yeah <laughs> <laughs> on, two, on two different levels i like them both um thank you so much again for this conversation this has been a lot of fun it's been a lot this of fun lots and lots of fun i'm so <laughs> glad <laughs> i'm so glad too and before i let you go really quickly after we've been having this conversation, two people having a conversation, um, getting to talk and find out some things about one another, uh, we're parting ways in Tagalog. What would be the best way to say goodbye? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I learned the technical, like the actual word for goodbye, but I don't remember because I never use it. <laughs> it's what I'd say is, Makikita tayo, which would be, we'll see you again soon. Makikita tayo. Makikita tayo? Yeah, makikita tayo. Oh, I love that. Makikita tayo. (laughs) Artie, thank you so much again for this conversation, and I'll be talking to you soon. I'll talk to you soon, too. Bye. Bye.